Hey guys, DJ here. This is a disclaimer. Applied Materials is a 100% non-profit, fan-made project set within the Orpheus Protocol game system. The Orpheus Protocol is an actual play podcast and tabletop role-playing game system created by Rob Stith and published by Varkalak Press. If you'd like to know more, please check out the main podcast at www.orpheusprotocol.com and patreon.com slash orpheusprotocol if you'd like to show more support for the main podcast. Thank you for your time, and please enjoy the following episode. This is Agent Tennessee. Operation Icarus Fallen is live. Poseidon is on station for Xville. All stations on high alert. Wolf Actual, going dark. Welcome to Icarus Falling, an Orpheus Protocol fanserver production. Starring Six as Garrett Hardy, Rich as Toby Bork, and me, DJ, as both Jimmy Masterson and your host for tonight. Icarus Falling contains violence, bioorganic experiments, the end of a long story journey, and the start of something new. Consider this your warning. All right, so the two of you have convened in Seattle, Washington, as part of of a mission briefing that you're going to go through. It's part of Orpheus. You both arrive, I suppose, by plane in the city of Seattle. You head to an Orpheus safe house that is in the city. Nice big place. There's a meeting room here. And as you enter the meeting room, there is a man sitting at the head of the table looking over a disassembled assault rifle. He is kind of on the tall side of average. Maybe about six-ish, or slightly slightly shorter than that. Brown hair, brown eyes, full beard. He's wearing a baseball cap. A little headset sits around his neck. He's also wearing a maroon polo t-shirt, gloves, cargo pants, boots, tactical vest, the whole nine yards. And as the two of you enter the room, he looks up from his work and says, Howdy. Nice of you all to drop by. Well, thank you for having me. Let's have a little bit of introductions. How about Garrett? You start first. Uh, Garrett is a former forest ranger uh, until uh, certain things happened and things got out of control. Uh, right now, he's uh, he stands about uh, about five foot eleven, very average height. He's got a, a little stockier of a build. There's definite muscle on him. He has a I'd say a, fi- a thin coat of five o'clock shadow, like he had forgotten to shave since he got off the airplane this morning. Uh, there is a uh, a very thin tint of green sheen over his hair, which is norm, which is a chestnut brown, which is very curious, but uh, it seems to be more aesthetic than a functional thing. He's got a very nice, friendly smile to him, with tired eyes. Yeah, what about Toby? So Toby is former regular military. Now Orpheus agent, he stands an average height, five ten ish, dirty blonde brown hair, uh, light eyes, what you would call probably a swimmer's build, kind of lean but a muscular torso, close cropped hair, clean shaven. He has that that air about him that he has been some places, seen and done some things, and uh, it's made him kind of what and who he is now which is a werewolf thousand yard stare when he's not actively involved in discussing something so the two of you take a seat at this meeting table 
the man gets up from his work, kind of walks around the table, goes to a laptop connected to a projector, taps a few buttons, dims the lights, and there's a little map that is now being projected onto the wall. And the man goes, right, so my name is Tennessee. A little bit more personal introduction. My name is Jimmy Masterson. Everybody calls me Jimmy. I'll be accompanying you on this mission today. We're heading out to an, an offshore facility here. And he uses a laser pointer to indicate a red dot on this satellite map of the Alaskan coast. More or less, just about in international waters. It's far enough away from the U.S. that it's not considered an American territory. But it's close enough to the waters that any sort of ships or transports coming in and out of this facility are... Well, their journey isn't as far as if it were just out in the middle of nowhere. And Jimmy goes, so we believe this facility is owned by a company called GeneLink. Now, GeneLink, they don't have any real affiliations with applied materials, but they are working for them. Well, at least this offshoot of their company is. This facility is known to be a science facility. We have positive intel from some very trusted sources saying that this Oil rig, well, well, it ain't just an oil rig. They conduct less than legal experiments on board. Our mission is to infiltrate, stay as hidden as possible, collect as much intel as we can. Once we've gathered everything we can from this facility, we're going to blow it up, send it to the bottom of the ocean. Some right fireworks then. Yep. And I called on the two of you because you've both had experience with the plant materials before, specifically on that plane ride you had with your other cellmates, Oro and Lucy. Yeah, wild outing for uh, Dog Walker. We'll be packing a lot of gear. He glances over to Toby. This uh, may come as no surprise to you, but we're packing loud. So we're bringing rifles, pistols. They'll be suppressed, but once we start exfiltrating, we won't need them. Unless we bring in explosives, we'll set them at key points around the structure. Once we're done and we are well away from the facility, we'll detonate. Send that thing to the bottom of the ocean where it belongs. Any questions? Militia's right in my wheelhouse, so... I'm looking to make things go boom. Excellent. Uh, what are we looking at towards uh, opposition? Any resistance? Yes, there are. there is an armed presence on board the facility, controlled by these guys. And he presses a button on his laptop, changes the picture to a logo of a PMC company. Gene Link are working with a company called Black Steel Industries. They're an American-based PMC. We believe the soldiers on board the oil rig are part of a complement of Black Steel soldiers. They're heavily armed, and what we have identified using our satellites, we have determined that they also surprisingly have anti-air munitions on board, presumably to deter any unwanted guests from having a close flyby over their waters, you know what I mean? I'm guessing we're looking at uh, aquatic infiltration. We'll be going in by boat. We're uh, stowing aboard a fishing trawler that's going to be heading out in the same direction. And then once we're close enough, we're going to hop onto a rib and mosey on in. Now, we've been doing this in the dead of night during a storm. I had the courtesy of having the weather checked out a couple of days ago. And it appears to be a big old storm approaching the western Canadian coast. And it just so happens that the tail end of that storm is going to be passing over our little operation. So we'll have the cover at night, as well as heavy rain, strong winds to help cover our approach. All right. Gerdel's flash a smile and uh, go to stand up. Uh, how long do we have before uh, before we head out? A couple hours. You can use the facilities here at the Seattle base to get yourself situated. Visit the armory, get anything you need. 
we'll be waiting until nightfall to head out. So before then, make sure you're well and ready. All right. Oh, and before you go, here, take these. And he hands the both of you a single clear glass vial filled with a similarly clear liquid. And he goes, I made these myself. You get in trouble, you drink these. Absolutely. Got it. So you can note down that you have a rank three panacea in your inventory. This is also a panacea that is affected by the, if I'm not wrong, the alchemy specialization for the Philosopher's Stone, which means it heals in total 1d3 plus 2. So a couple hours pass. You gather all of your equipment from your armorer in the Seattle base. The both of you get the same thing, except any specialized equipment that you might want to get. I'll say, well, Garrett's got his axe, the green axe, which uh, I think we said was an 8-8. It's a big thing. It's on your back. It's very striking. More than a few stairs as you walk down the hallways. Uh, The green axe itself is very interestingly shaped. It's somewhere between like elf, like Tolkien-esque elf, and uh, uh, late Norse. It's kind of like a bearded axe, one-handed, Viking-esque design. Despite the fact that there's part of it that is, you know, clearly metal and part of it that is clearly, you know, wooden handle and haft. It all seems to blend together almost naturally. Very mystical and green tinted. It is the green axe. So alongside that, uh, Garrett has a large revolver. So 44. So Toby's normal uh, kit for a mission that they expect resistance would be Kevlar with ballistic plates. A 9mm sidearm, 15 rounds, plus one chambered and a spare mag. A combat knife uh, for in case of utility uses, because he's more likely to be using claws and teeth than a knife. And uh, he doesn't generally travel with uh, any heavy ordnance. He's more of a uh, up-close-and-personal combatant the two of you also have enough c4 to essentially level like a small office building between the two of you quite a bit yeah it's quite a bit you're you are trying to send this place into the ground or into the ocean as it were the time of the deployment rolls around jimmy meets you in i suppose a loading bay the three of you take a van out to the coast where you are met with a fishing trawler it is unmarked and looks essentially like a fishing trawler with a crew and liveries to match civilian fishing of course the moment that the three of you pull up with all this military gear and jimmy immediately spouts an orpheus call phrase one of the crew members responds with the appropriate well response and the three of you get on board and put put your way out into the atlantic ocean wait no sorry not the atlantic ocean the pacific ocean so the three of you make your way out into the night And the further you get away from the shore, the choppier the waters get. With your standard issue night vision goggles, you can put them on and see that in the distance there is a massive storm front, like to your 10 o'clock. It's not directly over the site where you're going, but as Jimmy said, you can see that there are offshoots of this storm front, dark clouds flashing with lightning. And you can hear the faint rumble of thunder above the, the roar of the boat's engine and the waves crashing against the side of the boat. And then a couple of minutes later, you see lights on the horizon. It's, it is a big lit structure. It looks like an oil rig, but as you slowly approach, 
the fact that this isn't just an ordinary oil platform is very evident. You use binoculars to check out the place beforehand. There are armed guards patrolling different platforms, staircases, even stationed on the helipad. There are also some of them, some of those soldiers are also carrying anti-air munitions. You can see one or two rocket launchers perched on their shoulders. Jimmy turns to you and goes, all right, this is where we get off. Ribs on the side. We're going to power in and then coast all the way until we hit one of the support struts. Got it. The three of you hop into the rib moored on the side of this fishing vessel. And the moment the three of you are in and ropes have been cast off and you're powering away towards this facility, the crab boat starts traveling the opposite direction away from you and then slowly vanishes from your vision. As you approach this facility, you realize it's huge. Like you imagine what an oil rig might be, but bigger. It's not it's not vast as in wide, but it's tall. You judge there about there are about four ish levels, not counting like like the bottom maintenance areas and little catwalks underneath the whole structure. With the rumbling of thunder and the sound of the ocean along with the now heavy downpour that is just beating against you the noise of the engine of your boat is relatively unheard as you make your approach jimmy kills the engine the moment you are within reach of one of these massive metal support struts and he tosses a rope which has a sort of a super magnetic anchor on the end it attaches to the metal of the support strut and he begins pulling the boat in and it thumps against the support strut you can tell from here that there are no handholds or ladders anything or that allow people to climb up these things jimmy is busily looping the rope around the support strut as best as he can and to mostly secure the boat to this huge structure so, Jimmy, uh, what's plan B should uh, the boat get loose? Plan B is to, uh, well, it's a bit more work. We're going to have to disable all the anti-air, which means killing every person holding a stinger or a javelin. And then we'll call for an air extract. It's a bit more obvious, but uh, if our boat suddenly gets loose and floats away, that's the only option we got. All right. And Jimmy then passes out a few strange-looking gloves and boots or the boot covers. And he goes, all right, these are magnetic. All you got to do is push the button on the back, turn them on. They'll attach to the support struts. This is how we're going to climb up to the catwalks up above. Because I don't got a rope that's long enough to get down back down here. Uh, day of first, then. Day of first. Whenever y'all ready. And he has a pair of these gloves and boot covers already on. And I would like you both to make an athletics check with dexterity as the three of you begin your climb. I think I'm going to take the plus two in lieu of rolling for my athletics here. I am also going to take a plus two in lieu of rolling. So we're looking at a six. And I have a five. Yeah, I might as well spend all three. That's nine. Doop, boop, boop, boop. Up the wall. What about Toby? Uh, I'm going to spend uh, two strain on top to make that a seven. The three of you make very short work of the ascent. You are quiet and you are fast because the three of you are built for stealth operations and for physical exertion. It still takes you a few minutes, though. This thing is tall. You're also being buffeted by 
an increasingly high wind as well as just pouring rain. But a few minutes pass and the three of you reach the lower catwalks of this oil rig. As you swing yourselves aboard the catwalk, Jimmy already has his rifle up and you can see him go quiet as he gestures for the two of you to get on a six and then follow him. Uh, I'd like the two of you now to roll an awareness check with perception. Rolled a three, so I'm going to use my re-roll for this to a five. And I'm going to spend uh, a strain to make it a six. I rolled a three, and I am going to spend uh, one mental strain to make that a four. Garrett, as you sweep the lower deck with your night vision goggles, at first you don't see anything. And then across the way from you on a separate catwalk, coming down towards the same level that you are, you spot a dude walking down towards your level. He is clad in military gear, helmet, goggles, uh, balaclava. He's carrying a rifle with another sidearm holstered, tactical gear, very, very military looking. You can't actually hear his footsteps above the sound of the rain and the howling wind, but you do see that he also has a pair of NVGs strapped to his face. He isn't facing you, but... You figure if you don't keep low or move fast to get out of his line of sight, he will eventually see you. And there's like there's like catwalks above us. Is there like uh, like cargo or anything around? Or pretty much what you see above you, this network of catwalks is essentially a sort of square shape. And at each corner, there are staircases that go up towards a sort of lower level, which you assume might be for cargo, might be for stat. Uh, Maybe for cargo, might be for dormitories, other service areas, that sort of thing. Do the others notice this too, or is it just me? Jimmy notices too, and you can see him make the hand gesture for the both of you to hurry up as he has his rifle leveled at this dude. He's actually moved to one side of the staircase, allowing the both of you to go up behind him while he, while he covers you. Okay, I'll get my axe ready and try to... Uh sneak behind him. You wiggle your way past Jimmy with little difficulty, and you make your way up the stairs. And now I would like the both of you to tell me your vigilance. I got two. My vigilance is also a two. So as the both of you make your way up the stairs, you can feel the faint vibrations of more footsteps. At the top of these stairs is a sharp right turn into a more brightly lit room you can see that it's actually open to the air and it looks like a sort of balcony there is a single light hanging above this balcony currently there is no one here but you can see that there are several barrels and crates sort of strapped to the deck along with more lights illuminating this uh lower area directly in front of this entrance that the two of you are at and a couple of paces away is a structure attached to the bottom of the oil rig. It is currently sealed by a rather heavy-duty-looking uh, metal door. But you can see windows on the side of the structure. There are lights coming from within. And the faint vibrations of these footsteps that you can feel in your, with your feet are coming from another guard that is walking away from the two of you. He doesn't appear to have noticed you yet. He's just casually strolling directly away from this little 
staircase that that you're at. So try and get to the other side of it. So this deck structure is pretty big. And the big sort of structure that you saw as you approached is pretty much almost in the center, but off to one side. You can see that it extends all the way up to the bottom of the actual deck of the oil rig. It's feasibly about one, maybe two stories high. Okay. And the rest of this place looks like fuel tanks, like water tanks, ventilation systems, and stuff. There are other sheds here that you assume have maintenance equipment or things that just keep this station going. Uh, as it stands, you are in a... It's essentially, let's look at it as a sort of square. You guys are in the lower left-hand corner right now. This uh, big structure that you see ahead of you is not pressed up against the left side of this square, but it is about... It, it is sort of near the center of the square, but more towards the left side, if you catch my meaning. So like the upper left or the lower left or... In the middle left. Middle left. Okay. It's big. Like it almost extends from the staircase that you're at to the other staircase on the other side of this square. I want to check that out then. All right. I'd like you to make a stealth check. What's Toby doing though? Toby is... Um, he's now seen that there's a serious, serious presence of force here on the platform. And they look like they mean business. So the, the first thing that he's going to do, he's actually going to activate uh, Partial Transformation Savagery at rank 2, spending uh, Humanity, because I also have, I have uh, Savagery A as well, still going to cost 1 Humanity. And then I will, I'll head, uh, is, is Jimmy headed toward that as well? Is that the, the point of ingress? Yep. As the two of you are moving towards this center structure, you sort of glance behind you and you see Jimmy moving up behind you. So I would like you to make stealth checks with dexterity. And this stealth check for this level of the oil rig, uh, I want you both to memorize or at least write down this stealth check because this will be the level of stealth that you will maintain on this level. And then the with each subsequent level of the facility that you infiltrate, I'm going to have you to, I'm going to have you to roll more stealth checks. It's mostly so that I don't have to ask you to roll a stealth check for every single thing you do. That was a good thing. I rolled really well for this. I rolled a plus three, and I'm going to add another three on top, uh, another three physical strain on top of that. So I should be going in with eight. So I did not roll so well. Um, I have a two in stealth. No, I have, sorry, I have a three in stealth. I have two. Spend the, uh, I'm going to spend the three physical strain that. And that will bring me to a six. All right. You pass. The three of you make your stealthy approach towards this structure. As you get closer, close enough to the walls, you can start to hear the sounds of conversation coming from inside. The noise of the wind and the rain isn't as bad as down below in the catwalks. So it is quiet enough now that you can hear the very muted sounds of conversation, music, some laughter coming from inside this structure. So it's probably a barracks or something, living quarters. Yep, that's the reasonable assumption. So Jimmy is on one side of this big metal door. I assume Gary on the other side and then Toby. So what happens is you see Jimmy briefly lower his rifle and then tap the wash on his wrist. 
you can see the face of the watch light up a bright blue and then dim considerably as the watch detaches itself from his wrist and then starts walking around on six little spindly spider legs. Some watch. <laughs> Jimmy nods, making sure to hold a finger up to his mouth so that he can tell the both of you to hush and then lowers his homunculus onto the floor. The, the, the little uh, spider sort of bobs up and down once or twice and then skip, uh, skitters underneath the door. And a few moments pass and then it skitters right back out, hops back onto his wrist and Jimmy taps the little blue light and you see a very small uh, holographic interface pop up being projected by this blue light it's small enough that like it's not a giant thing more or less it's sort of the same size as a phone screen that's being projected above this watch and he looks at the picture that's being projected for a few moments and then sort of turns his wrist to let you look at it the, the both of you look at it it is a picture of the inside there appears to be a single table uh right here along with a couple of vending machines, a t television, other entertainment stuff. At the table are four men. They are playing cards with uh, beer cans scattered around their little play space. You can see one of them is in the middle of laughing. It appears that they're playing poker. But the picture here is angled enough that you can see right down sort of like the middle of this structure. And you can tell that this is a sort of rest area. No beds, which leads you to assume that the bunks are actually above this, uh, this level of this particular structure. Once the two of you have taken enough time to look at this picture and see what's there, Jimmy shuts it off and then makes a couple of hand gestures that essentially say or ask, do you guys want to go in there and slot these four people? So we could take them out now and take them out quickly. They're not expecting us. Garrett will make a motion with his hand like shaped like a lightning so let's wait for let's like uh wait for uh thunder strike just to be extra safe jimmy nods gives you a thumbs up and then also makes another gesture for toby to sort of say take care of the guard that's outside toby if you peek uh, around the corner of the wall that is that you're uh, pressed up against you can actually see through your nvgs the other guard that you spotted he has just reached the other side and has now turned around and making his slow way back. You figure that you're probably going to have to wait a minute or two for this man to reach your position and get close enough that you can sort of just reach out and grab him if you need to. So the three of you are waiting for essentially the weather to be on your side. How are you going to breach this door exactly? This is a heavy-duty door that is weather-resistant. It's not one of those flimsy doorknob affairs. It's more like a big metal, circular metal crank that you have to turn to disengage the locks on the door and then swing it open. Garrett is a mighty, mighty man. He's young and he's in his prime. So he's probably just going to also pop his werewolf transformation savagery. As you transform, uh, Garrett, Jimmy, yep. you, you can see him just perform a very quick ammo check of his rifle. Pulls out the mag, checks it. Splits it back in, pulls well, the charging handle down a ways to, to just make sure he's got a round chambered. Looks up at you. I've suddenly gone from five, uh, from five foot eleven to about six foot four. Still very bulky. Now, 
here's where the action starts. Garrett, I'd like you to, uh, what is your plan here? Are you going to rip the door off its hinges or do something else with it? I figure with my enhanced strength, twisting the uh, gangway lock and throwing it open will be a lot easier to the point where he could do it with one hand. So with okay, his other so hand, he's going to have his revolver ready. Okay, so you're, you're, you're essentially wrecking the, uh, the hinges on this door. They just sort of make it fall off. Yeah, All right. basically it's... pushing a pull door inwards. I, so I, I, I just I figure this thing was a push out. Yeah, this thing is a pull pull outwards door. Yeah, it won't be when I'm done with it. All right, make that mic uh, make that mic check with vitality. Toby, the guard is in range now. The one that's outside, he's walking towards you. He hasn't noticed you yet. What do? Okay, so I'm around the uh, around the corner and listening for him to be walking up, knowing having seen his route, he patrols. So as he as he comes a, a pace away from uh, rounding the corner, I will lunge a 90-degree turn and grab him and grab him to attempt to just spin him around and take him down with a, a, a neck snap. All right. Roll that melee attack. Uh, Garrett has an 11 for the mic check. So this Audi is now an innie. So with my uh, with my savagery two bonuses, I have an eight. So all of this happens at round about the same time. Toby, you swing around the corner, sort of grab this guy's neck and lower half of his face in one of your giant werewolf mitts and pull him back around the corner and snap his neck with the uh, flick of your wrist while Garrett digs his claws into the sides of this metal structure specifically in the door frame where the door is, rips the hinges out and then kicks the door in with a loud crash-bang-boom of metal on metal. This is why I was hoping to wait for the thunder. And as your heel or the, uh, the flat of your foot impacts the door to kick it in, you see briefly out of the corner of your eye the flash of lightning. And almost as if you perfectly timed the whole thing, the loud rumble and boom of thunder echoes across the ocean as the door hits the floor. The noise is still loud enough that it startles the four soldiers in here. You've got them on the back foot. They are certainly not expecting to see a nearly seven foot tall werewolf with a revolver in one hand and an axe in, on his back. Standing there in the doorway, <coughs> silhouette, standing there in the doorway, silhouetted by lightning and rain. And I would like you to make one surprise attack. Uh, Jimmy's going to do the same thing, and then we're going to roll for initiative. Okay. So you get uh, one attack off. Do you remember the scene in uh, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, when Grievous attacks the bridge and cuts through part of the door and then throws the door? That's what Gary's going to do. Are you throwing the door? <laughs> I'm going to throw the door at them. Okay, so I suppose that would be a ranged attack. I figure it's in my hand already. They're going to be at a penalty to dodge because A, you surprise them, B, it's a big door. Okay. I suppose I can use athletics with this. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. Okay, cool. So, it, yeah, it'll be an athletics with vitality to huck the door at them. And then the actual hucking will be a ranged attack with, uh, I suppose, a an a, attack doors skill. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's going to be, uh, be a seven. And, of course, Garrett has to issue the one-liner, deal me in. <laughs> So what was the athletics roll? 
uh, seven. All right. Yeah, it is as it, it's as easy as picking up a piece of plywood in your werewolf form. This this door means nothing to you. And now you huck it with your what's your what's your range attack roll? Uh, I rolled a plus one. Ranged attack is a two. And however you want to uh, weigh the damage of detached metal door. All right. So I suppose then, are you going to add any physical strain on top of this? Or oh, right, that's right. You don't have that skill. Never mind. Well, I mean, you can spend one. <laughs> you can spend one. I'm not gonna. You know, I don't think I'm gonna spend it on this one. I just want to see what happens. All right. So just the three. Yep. Just okay, the three. So they're on the back foot. All right. So what happens is you huck this door with great strength towards these four poker players. They are shouting in surprise and scrambling away from the table. Unfortunately, the one that's behind the table isn't so lucky, as you nail him square in the face and also the rest of the body with his massive metal door, crushing him and smearing him across the floor in a bloody heap. The other three men have scattered off to the sides, one on the left side and two on the right side. I'll go after the one and let uh, Jimmy take the two if he's since he's got his gun ready. Uh, Toby? Anything, anything from you? I am going to pick up the body of the person that I just uh, dispatched, and I am going to drag or pick it up and carry that uh, into the small building. Okay, you pick up the body by the, by the back of this combat vest. And since they're otherwise engaged, I'll, I'll bring that with me to where the, uh, the others are inside so that they won't be seen by any other uh, guards. Yep, this happens. And then, as this is happening, Jimmy is also going to make a attack. Garrett, as you finish hucking the door at these four people, you can see out of the corner of your eye, Jimmy swing around the other side of the door frame and open fire. His suppressed weapon coughs a few times, and one of the dudes on the right side just drops immediately. Two bullet holes in the center of his chest. And now I'd like all of you to roll initiative! We rolled a nine. I've got a seven. All right. Toby, you're going first. The tableau, the, the scene is, as you enter this structure, there are a bunch of men in here. There are four men. One of them has been rather, well, he's been crushed underneath this massive door that just got thrown at him by your teammate. There is another man on the left side of this room, pressed up against the wall. And there are two men on the right side of the room in a similar position, although one of them has just taken two bullets to the chest from Jimmy and is in the process of falling over to the floor dead. So there are, in, this, in essence, two more live targets in this, in this room. What do? So the first thing I'll do is I will drop the body to the side of the, uh, the open door. All right. Yep. That, you, you do that handily. And then I, uh, I would take a shot at the, the combatant that's on... On the left. So I'm going to spend one mental strain, and that brings it to a five. So, okay, so that's two degrees of success. All right, so that's six, four, 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 and two, four. Yeah, so as you sort of swing yourself into this room past Garrett and past Jimmy, you have your sidearm up in your hand, and you let off three rounds from your suppressed pistol. They slam into the chest of the dude on the left, and he drops like a sack of bricks. Right, it's Jimmy's turn. He's also going to roll another ranged attack. So as you drop the dude on the left, Toby, you can see out of the corner of your eye, Jimmy shifting his focus to the other dude that's still alive. Let's loose 
another burst of concentrated rifle fire, and the man drops like a rock. And all this happens in the span of a few, of a few seconds. So by the time the door has stopped moving and left the poor schmuck underneath it, a red smear on the metal floor, only a couple seconds have passed, and all the bodies dropped to the floor, dead. Garrett's going to look back at the hole he made, look at the hinges, look back at the door, back at the hinges. That door went to, was a push, was a pull door, wasn't it? Uh, Jimmy looks up at you and goes, I do believe so. Whoops. Yeah, it doesn't matter. This is all going to end up at the bottom of the ocean anyway. Right. Let's take a knee here and uh, stock up. We'll see what else we got. And he sort of sweeps all of the cards and the empty beer cans off the table. His hand hits one of them that's still, that is unopened, kind of stares at it, grabs the can, puts it in his pack for later. And then he uses his wristwatch and projects a map of the structure onto the surface of the table. And he says, all right, so we're here. This is the lowest sublevel of the facility. We have a general idea that this is a maintenance slash service area. So this is where all the fuel is. Power is above us, one more level. Uh, here, we also have guard bunks and one or two other miscellaneous storage sheds for equipment that we don't use, and that's about it. Now, directly above us, and he points to the next level of this holographic map. Now, this level above us is the actual staff quarters. So this is where all of the research staff live. We're assuming there's probably going to be a cafeteria or something up there. Maybe bunks, dorm rooms. Uh, recreational facilities and stuff like that. Now, these research staff, from our observations of the area, aren't armed at all, nor do they have any sort of feasible combat abilities. So as much as possible, if we can't subdue them without hurting them, well, I mean, we're, send we're sending this place to the bottom of the ocean anyway, so don't expect too much resistance from the squints up there. Now, if we want to maintain our operational cover, we are going to have to be very quiet about how we do things once we start getting up into the deeper levels of the facility. The, I assume the higher we go, the more uh, the more resistance we're going to have to face. So be ready for that. If we set off any alarms, we can just go full beast mode, I suppose. But other than that, right now, stealth is key. We don't want them to know that we're here right up until the other shoe's about to drop. Catch me, Drift? Right. Good. All right. So let's head up to the next floor, see whether we can maybe even bypass that floor, head up into the research labs, because uh, I, for one, don't appreciate unnecessary death, even though we are going to blow this entire place up. But still, better it all happen at once. He taps his watch, the hologram disappears, and he goes, all right, let's get going. So the three of you make your way out of this bunk area and head out of the structure. Head to one of the many staircases on the corners of this little square, and then head upstairs. So as you are making your way up, I would like you all to make another stealth check. This will be the updated one for the upper levels of the facility. So you can uh, you, you can now dis safely disregard the previous stealth checks. All right. I got a six. After spending uh, a strain, I got a four. Okay, so with your stealth scores, Garrett, you are pretty stealthy. You know how to step with your big werewolf feet to not make a lot of noise, especially on metal floors like these. Toby, however, you are not as adept as Garrett is, especially with the uh, 
adrenaline coursing through your veins from the brief glimpse of combat that you had earlier. And so you're 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 not as quiet as your uh, teammates. Thankfully, you guys don't attract any sort of undue attention as you make your way past the living quarters of the staff here. But it takes you a few minutes to traverse from this staircase to the next level up because when you get out of the service area, this staircase that you're following doesn't continue going upwards. So you do have to sort of get out of this staircase and then figure out where how to get to the next level up from here. And it comes in the form of another sort of external staircase. But this one is graciously covered from the howling wind and the pouring rain outside. It is cold out here. And because you are also, all three of you are sopping wet, it's colder. But you make your way upstairs and you come out at the main level of this oil rig slash research facility. So... This is the level where, in the satellite footage, you saw that this is the same level that the helipad is on, along with a sort of general hub area in terms of buildings and other assorted places for you to go to. There aren't any signs, though, but you are standing or crouched, actually, in sort of this area is off to the left side of the facility. You don't immediately see any buildings that you can go into, but there are several structures around here that look like labs and other things. So what do you do? So if I can, if I'm going to try and take a quick peek at one of the, one of the labs. All right. So I suppose this would be a good time to make you all do an investigation check with your perception. I'll put a couple of strain on that for a five. Toby both rolled poorly and uh, is not so good at investigation. It's not one of his strong suits. So I'm going to stick with a uh, one. So Toby, you essentially... This isn't your strong suit, like looking for things and figuring out. It's not interesting. It's not what you're here for. You are here to mostly wreck shit when it comes to it. And so you, instead of assisting with the investigation, you keep watch for the others as they check out this level of the facility. Garrett, you sort of peer around corners, do a little bit of light sniffing, check out the air, peek through the corners of a few windows trying to see inside these lab facilities. And it comes to the realization that this place is some sort of genetics lab overall. It splits us about three different buildings that are then connected again by the upper level above your heads. Essentially, this place is a sort of like a very generic sort of normal experimentation sort of lab. You gather that maybe the experiments that are carried out here are less risky more sort of like in the public eye, very generic sort of science-y stuff that you don't quite understand. Jimmy is also right behind you as you carry out your investigation of this level. And after a few minutes of darting from corner to corner, keeping out of sight of the guards, the two of you regroup with Toby near the stairs that you came up from. And Jimmy goes, okay, I don't think what we're looking for is here, but we still should at least stop by one of these labs and find a computer so we can download data off of it. That means going inside. Or do you just want to try and find like a one of the unoccupied, like an unoccupied lab or? Uh... Yeah, hopefully we can do that. I'll uh, I'll take point this time because as much as I appreciate the two, the company of the two of you, the giant werewolves ain't exactly too stealthy. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're kind of a brute squad right now. Yeah, we are. All right, follow me. He slinks off into the darkness and expects the two of you to follow him. Well, I do. I do as well. Right behind. So the three of you 
slink your way towards one of these big structures and then make your way inside. You see that there isn't security for the outer, the work by simple motion sensors. As soon as you get in front of it, the doors slide open. The inside of this structure is very well lit, very clean. It's nice, nice white walls. The floor here isn't metal anymore. It's more like plastic flooring. It is a light green in color. And there are several hallways in here. And now I would like another awareness check from the both of you. I got another five. I ended up with a three. What happens is as two of you round this first corner, only Garrett notices the red blinky light of a security camera mounted on one of the corners of the ceiling that then very quickly is destroyed by a single rifle shot from Jimmy's rifle. How long do you think we got till they notice? Honestly, not very. Let's hurry. And now, actually, I would like either one of you, uh, this can be any one of you, uh, to roll a luck check for me. I got zero. Okay, so you turn up a relatively unoccupied lab space. You can see a bunch of centrifuges, microscopes, a little sort of like glass case, a little two holes for the gloves uh, going through sort of like a sealed off uh, examination area, a bunch of lab counters and a few computers. This lab is unoccupied. The lights are on and the door doesn't appear to be locked as Jimmy stands in front of it and the door sort of slides open in front of him. He turns to the two of you and goes, well, I'll be uh, working in here for a few minutes. Keep me covered. If anyone comes by, take care of him. Garrett will nod and pull out the axe again. Now, I would like the two of you to roll another awareness check with perception as Jimmy starts working on a computer. This has been Icarus Falling, an Orpheus Protocol fan server production. Thank you to Six for playing Garrett and Jeff for playing Toby, and I will see you in the next episode. Good night. Next time on Icarus Falling. Stealth can only go so far in concealing the Orpheus team's tracks. The consequences of their actions catch up to them and violence is in their immediate future. <laughs>